Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter one. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. This is an epoch of sin against God the Creator. Gender ideology was a backward step for humanity. It is so-called gender theory. It's not an expression of frustration and resignation that aims to cancel out sexual difference as it is no longer able to face it. Yes, we run the risk of taking a step backwards. Indeed, the removal of difference is the problem, not the solution. Pope Francis has condemned gender theory several times. He condemns ideological colonization, Gender theory is an error of the human mind that leads to so much confusion and so much attack against the family. Gender ideology is demonic, says Francis. That is a very strong statement for Francis to say. Demonic. That means it came from the liar, the demon, Satan. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief, Satan, stole our identity and wants us to stay in the dark. All things came into being through Jesus, the word, and without him, not one thing came into being. Through him, all things were made. You were made through Jesus Christ. You are not a random happenstance. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. Not one thing, not one of us. God spoke the word, the breath of God droplets of water from his breath and the spirit of the living God called you into being. When your mother and father came together and you were conceived, Jesus spoke you into being. Even if they weren't married, Jesus called you by name and you are his. All things came into being through him. Out of two to 500 million sperm in each marital act, This one sperm fertilizes this one ovum, this one month. 200 to 500 million sperm. Do you see how particular this is that this one fertilizes this one egg and that's you. And God breathed that into being and put a human soul there. Boom, pow. (laughs) And you became a zygote. I'm an old biology teacher, sorry. But Jesus breathed eternal life into you. And I like to read Isaiah 43, and I like to put my name in the blank, and you can do this with your own name. But now, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Sharon, he who formed you, Sharon, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, Sharon. I got a coupon for you. I paid a price for you. I redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, Sharon, and you are mine, Sharon. Thank you, God. It was no mistake that you were created. And it was a particular creation. One morning, Steve was praying, and he came to me in tears. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, I just realized about our miscarriages. He had never grieved it. He was in medical school. He was in residency. And I had two miscarriages. And, you know, I was a mess. But he was at work. And he never grieved it. And he's just crying. He says, We lost two babies. 
And I'm like, I know, I know, we have two eternal souls in heaven interceding for our family now. And that's our goal of, of our vocation of parenting is to get our kids to heaven, and we got two there. Aren't we lucky? Aren't we blessed? And I said, if those, if those would have worked, then we would not have Thomas because it was that sperm and that egg that formed Thomas. And we wouldn't have Peter because it would have been a different combination, and we wouldn't have John. That's how particular it is. All things were created through Jesus Christ by God speaking the word. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. You were created for Jesus Christ. You are his disciple. He chose you and created you for him, for himself. He loves you. It's that particular. What had come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people, all people, not just the Jews, but all people, all of Abraham's children. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus will tell us in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. The light came into the darkness. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this is John the Baptist. And he came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. John is so clear on his mission. He is witness, 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 testimony to Jesus Christ. Although he doesn't know it's Jesus yet. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. In every painting you see of John, he will be pointing. Pointing to what? Pointing to Jesus. He always points others to Jesus. John bore witness to Jesus and always points us to Jesus. Now, when these two met, Mary, this 13-year-old girl, ran with haste through the hillside of Judea to meet her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth had John in her womb. And Elizabeth said, why is it that the mother of my Lord has come to me? And John leapt in her womb because he was before the Lord. And he knew because he was full of the Holy Spirit at the moment of conception, it tells us in scripture. This is another reason why abortion is a non-negotiable. At conception, this fetus is leaping in the womb to be in front of the Lord. And John is about six months older than Jesus. Embryo fetus. And they knew, these two women knew. They looked at each other's eyes and they knew that God had visited his people. How can this be? And Zechariah had a prophecy at the end of Luke 1. And it's after he's unmuted and he can speak again. His name is John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you're going to go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. John knew from a little boy this would be his job. But he didn't know who Messiah was yet. When the day shall dawn upon us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And this child, John, grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his manifestation to Israel. There was a man sent from God and his name was John and he came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him through his witness, through his testimony. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. Now the true light, 
the light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was right behind John six months later. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. He spoke the word. Everything was made through him, but the world did not know him. Not him. Him? Jesus of Nazareth? Mary and Joseph's kid? The carpenter's son? What? He came to his own hometown, and his own people received him not. Ah, this isn't Messiah. (laughs) This is Jesus. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become what? Children of God. He gave us our identity back. Jesus gives us the power to know who we are. We're children of God. And it's a power. It's a dynamite because it's the Holy Spirit. He gives us back our deepest identity to know who we are. We're siblings with him. Brothers and sisters to him. Who are you? Who are you in this mass of people? For 20 years, I've been asking all five boys when they go to school, remember who you are today? (laughs) Do you know who you are? Yes, mom. I'm a beloved son of God. Don't forget. Okay, mom. Now they're older. And when they're going out on Saturday night to West O to a party, I say, hey, who are you? Who are you? A beloved son of God. Don't forget. Don't forget your deepest, truest identity. You are a beloved son of God. And Jesus gave us power to become children of God. And to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. Born from above, born a nothing. John chapter 3, we'll learn about that. This is when you get your truest identity back, your deepest identity back, because you're incorporated into the body of Christ. You're a child of God. You're baptized. You're set free from original sin. You start becoming a partaker in the divine nature again. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're baptized into all three. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glorious of the only Son of the Father. God became human flesh. Can you believe it? God of the universe became this, vulnerable, can't feed himself, can't diaper himself, can't burp himself, can't walk, can't do anything. This is this God. Amazing. The true presence of God is going to tabernacle, which is the word for he's going to tent or dwell with us in human flesh for 33 years on the face of the earth. He's a fact. He's a historical reality. He really existed. He was incarnate. And not just for 33 years, but for all eternity, he's going to be stuck with a human body. Can you fathom that? God, who's pure spirit, is going to take on a human body for all time? And after the resurrection, the powerful resurrection, they want to see his wounds. Wouldn't you think he would like zap into a new body with no wounds? (laughs) They don't even recognize him. The only way they recognize him is by his wounds. That's how they identify him in all these sightings. Did he have the wounds? Yeah, I saw him. His hands, his feet. I saw the crown of thorns. I saw, yeah, he had a slice in his, uh, yeah. The wounds of Christ in a glorified body. By his wounds, we were healed. He doesn't want to erase them. That's what did it for us. I love that. Come on in. Thomas had to. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it until I stick my hand in his side. 
Come on in. To live with the wounds of the crucifixion in his post-resurrection may be the mark that God had accomplished his final prayer on the cross. Father, forgive them. He doesn't need them to go away. The wounds are healed by the power of the resurrection, but they don't go away because they are evidence of his forgiveness for all humanity for all time. Healed wounds are evidence of a new creation in Christ. He can make all things new again because all things are made through him. Do you have wounds? I do. Every single person has wounds. You've been hurt by someone. Something happened to you that was unjust. You were abused. You did this. You did this. Woundedness. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It wasn't just. The wounds don't go away. They heal. They scar over. But they're evidence of your forgiveness. I forgave that person. I forgave that person. Lord, help me forgive deeper. The wounds are evidence that you're healing. They're going to be radiant in heaven. They're going to just... mm. John bore witness to him and cried, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, and he was before me. Oh, John's starting to get it. He was six months older. And this one, Jesus, he of whom I said, He comes after me. He was born six months after me, but he ranks before me because guess what? He created me. Jesus was eternally begotten of the Father, consubstantial with the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father through him. All things were made, and Jesus preexisted. John the Baptist, who was born six months before him. He's getting it. It's mind-blowing, because he had no beginning. He always was with God. This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, for he was before me. And from his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to be healed from the wound of sin. Let's take a look at Elijah and Moses, two bigger-than-life characters, the greatest prophet and the greatest lawgiver in the Old Testament. For the law, John says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, we just had the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, and these were the readings. And it's a juxtaposition. It's a, it's a fulfillment. The old Moses with the brazen snake on the pole and the new Moses. Look up. Look up and be healed. Be healed of all your bites, all your snake bites, all your sin. That's why I hung there for you. No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He, Jesus, has made him God known. So we know about God because Jesus came and told us about everything the Father's told me, I've told you. And I got to go back. I won't leave you over. I'm going to send the spirit of the living God. It's the love that the Father and I share. I'm going to pour it out on you. So you never forget. So you're enlightened. Jesus Christ is the face of the Father's mercy, the Father's love, the Father's forgiveness. Last year in Hebrews, we learned this. That Jesus Christ reflects the glory of God and bears the very step of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of power. That's the power that makes us children of God. Colossians says he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Philip, don't you understand this? Jesus makes the Father seen. Jesus makes the Father known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? John, what is your deepest identity? Who are you? And he confessed, John did. He did not deny, but he confessed right out, I am not the Christ. If you think I'm the Christ, uh uh-uh, I'm not the Christ. 
And they said, well, what are you then? Are you Elijah? Nope, not Elijah. I am not. Are you the prophet? Are you the promised Messiah? Are you the one who's going to? Nope. They said to him, who are you? Who are you? Is that a song? I don't know. Um, He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He's quoting Isaiah directly. He is so clear on his identity, his mission. He knows is to announce Messiah. John, are you Elijah? Why are they asking him that? Well, John was there at the transfiguration, but he never wrote about it. But he saw Elijah with his own eyes, and he saw Moses with his own eyes, and they were there. So Elijah had come back. But why are they saying, are you Elijah? John, are you Elijah? Because Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, had said, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And then there was 400 and some years of silence. So they're all waiting, like, Elijah has to come first before Messiah. We got to see Elijah first. Is Elijah here? So John, are you Elijah? This Elijah, says Malachi, he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children back to their father. Now in Luke chapter 1, when Zechariah goes into the Holy of Holies, the angel Gabriel comes to him in the temple and he says, Zechariah, John will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God and John will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children exact fulfillment of Malachi. So John, are you Elijah? Jesus says he is. Jesus Christ says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Who is Jesus talking about? That's a puzzle for you. Who is Jesus talking about? The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Christ Jesus, though in the form of God, did not think equality with God the Father something to be grasped, but instead emptied himself in the form of a slave, took on a human body. Jesus is the most humble in the heavens. Jesus is the least in the kingdom of heaven. Philippians 2, an ancient hymn of the church. From the days of John the Baptist, says Jesus, until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. This is first century just from the days of John the Baptist till now, that's 30 years, this kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and men of violence take it by force. So when Malachi says, this is coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord, why? What's the great and terrible day of the Lord? We don't want that to come. What is that? That's the cosmic showdown. It's a great and terrible day because it's the cosmic battle between Jesus Christ and Satan. It's on the cross. For all the prophets, the law, they prophesied until John, if you're willing to accept it, says Jesus Christ, John is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Ah, there are going to be two final witnesses. A new Elijah named John and a new Moses named Jesus, the Messiah. In Mark 9, they asked Jesus, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And Jesus said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. He'll restore them through a baptism of repentance. And how is it written that the son of man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come. They did to him what they pleased as it is written of him. So here's what they did to this witness, to this bold voice crying out in the wilderness. They silenced him.
They silenced his voice. And in Revelation 11, we learned about two witnesses, the final two witnesses. And John writes it in a very secretive, mystical way. They will trample over the holy city, Jerusalem, for 42 months. And I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days wearing sackcloth. Well, that would be 42 months or three and a half years. How long was the ministry of John and Jesus? From age 30 to 33 and a half. And who wore sackcloth in the Bible? We know Elijah did. He had a garment of hair. And we also know John the Baptist was clothed with camel hair. Sackcloth. Both of these men. The old Elijah, the new Elijah. John is Elijah. Jezebel wanted the head of Elijah. She wanted him dead. He killed her prophets of Baal. Another Jezebel named Herodias wanted John the Baptist killed. He spoke out against her adulterous marriage with Philip, Herod's brother. She demanded the head of John the Baptist through her daughter. I want his head on a platter. The new Elijah, a party favor for a lustful dance, a cosmic showdown was certainly at hand. Think of Mary. This is a sorrow people don't realize. This was Jesus's cousin. This was Elizabeth's baby that stirred and leapt in her womb. And he's been, when she got the news that John has been beheaded, Mary, Mary, John has had his head cut off. Can you imagine her sorrow? Another sword. (laughs) Elijah had a glorious send off to the heavens in the Old Testament. The new Elijah, not quite as glorious an event. But when Jesus harrowed Hades after his resurrection, we know John the Baptist had to be one of the first out in some of the old paintings in his camel hair. He was the last one down, the last martyr, the last prophet. Jesus is going to pull him out first. Adam's the last to be pulled out. The only two with halos are John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, the final two witnesses, the greatest witnesses, the most humble witnesses of all time. John was 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was six months older than Jesus. John was beheaded six months before Jesus was crucified. His ministry of witness lasted 3.5 years. John, the new Elijah, is the first of the two final witnesses. Who's the second one? Jesus Christ, the new Moses. Moses saw the great I am. But Jesus Christ, the new Moses, was the great I am. We'll hear seven I am statements in John's gospel. Moses gave manna bread from heaven, but Jesus Christ was manna, the bread sent down from heaven. Moses turned water to blood, but Jesus Christ is going to turn water to wine. And then we know in the institution of the Eucharist, he takes the wine and turns it into his own blood. Malachi mentioned both of these, the last prophet. Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel? Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So both of these men, these ancient prophets, are featured on the Mount of Transfiguration at Tabor. Moses and Elijah in the Old Testament, the new Moses, Jesus, the new Elijah, John. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophets. And John answered, I baptize with water, but one is coming. He stands among you. You don't know him though. You don't know his true identity yet. And and John didn't either at this point. Even he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal, I'm not worthy to untie. Now is John saying, hey, I'm just a schmuck. I mean, I'm not worthy to untie this guy's sandal. He's so great. No, 
This is the very first secret clue of John saying that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. And this is a secret clue. It's the first bridegroom imagery we see in the Gospel of John. And you have to look at it with spiritual eyes in the spiritual sense of scripture. He says, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. What does he mean? He's talking about the Levite marriage vow. The Levite marriage was a type of marriage that if the brother died, then one of his brothers, another brother had to come forth and marry the widow and have a child with her so the widow would have a son. When brothers live, it's in Deuteronomy 25, we studied it. When brothers live on the same property and one of them dies without a son, the wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside the family. And her brother-in-law is to take her as his wife. Now, the first son she bears is going to carry on the name of the dead brother, so the name will not be blotted out of the house of Israel. That was very important, that the name not be blotted out. Now, if the brother-in-law says, "Uh uh-uh, don't want her, then the sister-in-law can go up to him in the sight of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. John the Baptist will not untie the sandal because guess what? He's saying, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm not the one. I'm the best man. It's not me. Jesus, or he doesn't know it's Jesus yet, but the new Messiah is going to be the bridegroom. Old Israel is going to become a widow because God's going to die in the second person of the Trinity on the cross, leaving Israel a widow. This is in Romans 7. Resurrected Jesus is the next of kin because he's one in being with the father. So he's going to remarry Israel. Old Israel will not be blotted out. No, 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 no. But incorporated into the new Israel, into the Catholic church, the bride of Christ. So John's saying, I, I can't undo the sandal. I'm not the bridegroom. The bridegroom has to do that. He has to remove his sandal and take the widow, the widow bride. So Jesus is going to be the new bridegroom of a new Israel, a resurrected, redeemed Israel. God will not desert the old widow Israel. She's totally welcome to be incorporated in. In fact, the first 3,000 baptized were Jews. The bridegroom fully incorporates Israel into his new bride. She is not blotted out. Do you understand? It's very spiritual. It's very mystical. And now we're going to go to a wedding next week. So this bridegroom theme is starting here. Okay. (sighs) Don't you love John? We'll continue there next week, but let's pray. Lord God, we praise and thank you for this evangelist John and how you breathe the spirit into him. We thank you for John the Baptist and how at the moment of his conception, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Jesus, for becoming human flesh at the moment of your conception where the spirit of God hovered over Mary. Thank you, Mary, for all the sacrifices you made to bear light to the world. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter one on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.